I have a wife who is um, amazing. You guys know that. I've told everybody who, I mean, this is no secret. Everybody loves joy. Me, I'm a case-by-case basis. Everyone loves my wife. I've never met anybody in the 32 years that I've known joy who hadn't just absolutely loved joy. There are a couple things that are true about joy. One is joy loves rules. She loves lists. She likes order. She likes structure and she's good at it. Matter of fact, she could be a pro when it comes to order, structure, rules, and and things along those lines. To-do lists are her thing. If you could go pro in to-do lists, my wife would be a professional. She will make a to-do list before she goes to bed. She'll wake up at three o'clock in the morning and she'll refine her to-do list, add some items, sometimes wake me up to make sure it's on my to-do list. If not, in the morning, she'll you know, encourage me, hey, are these things on your list? These are the things you might should be thinking about always something going on, loves the structure. It's good for me because I don't always live in that same world. However, being really good at the complicated, complex structure, the, you know, the deeper, important things in life doesn't always mean that you're good at some of the basics. And let me explain. My wife, as interesting as it is to consider, as um, hard as it is to see how these two things coexist, um, always, let me just tell you what she does. She has this button on her watch that she can push. And if it, she pushes the button on her watch, again, for you Android users, I'm sorry, you'll have to catch up later. Um, the phone will start dinging and you can find it because, you know, sometimes every once in a while, well, it's not even every once in a while, for joy, it's almost an everyday basis. I'll hear ding, 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 ding. And she's wandering through the house and I'll watch her for a while. She'll say, call my phone. And I'll call her phone. And then she'll go downstairs and she'll call my phone. And so I'll call her phone and she'll come back upstairs. I hear the refrigerator open. She's looking. And then finally, she's like, oh, here it is. It's in her pocket the whole time. And she'll say, I just didn't have the ringer turned on. And I look at her and go, how can somebody so complicated and so good at the complex lose your phone every single day? It's one of the things that makes her cute to me. I'd kind of miss that if I didn't have her around losing her phone. What else would I do besides call her phone and help her find it? Sometimes we get too caught up in the deep, the complicated, the complex, the to-do lists, the structure, all the formulas, and we skip the important, the basics, the simple. Today, I wanna talk to you about the important, the basics and the simple. And it's something that I have felt um, deeply in my own heart, my own spirit that we should talk about today. And there are a bunch of different directions we could have gone today. This is the direction that I believe God wants me to go. And so I trust you're gonna be coming along with me. We are in the third week of a series, in a series on happiness. And happiness is something we lack in this world. Happiness is something we don't see much of. We see people acting in very unhappy ways. Stress, the complexities of the decisions that we have to make in life, the threats that are around us, the threats within us. We see relationships crumbling. I mean, it's just a tense time right now. The pandemic seems to make things even worse. We deal with political, uh, uh, different things that some of us react very strongly to. We deal with financial challenges. I mean, all kinds of stuff is going on right now. And you and I, well, there's a war on our happiness. 
Sometimes we look to the external things to make us happy. We talked the very first week about what makes you happy. And I said to you, if it's a what that makes you happy, then there's gonna be a what else or a what's next. That there are a few things that truly make us happy and it comes from one thing and it's a simple thing. As a matter of fact, it's the only simple thing. It's the most important simple thing. It's the irreducible minimum. And that's what we're gonna talk about today. Now I'm gonna take you back to Philippians 1. The apostle Paul is writing to us and he's writing this letter. He's writing it to a church actually back in the day, but writing to us because that's how God works. It's scripture. I believe that it's 100% true. I believe that it's without error in its original form. I believe that when God breathed this, when he inspired a human author to write scripture, he was giving us the truth that we need to know how it is that we live, how we make decisions, and what it is that we can truly trust in this life. So everything I tell you comes from God's word because I don't have any wisdom myself, but I try to study and pray about the wisdom God gives, and that's what I wanna share with you. So the Apostle Paul is writing this letter to a church he loves. The Apostle Paul is writing a letter to a church that he had sacrificed to sort of to start and to help encourage to grow in their faith. The Apostle Paul wanted this church to win. He didn't wanna be way off in front having them try to catch up. He didn't wanna be better at God than they were. A more accomplished Christian dealing in the complexities and, and feet never touching the ground. He was in it with them. His heart was in it with them. He had them by the hand saying, let's win together. And if we all win, that's the way we can please the Lord. And that's all he wanted. Some of you may not be churched or churchy like I am. And like some of us in here are, and you don't even know yet who the apostle Paul is. And that doesn't mean that, that there's something you should know. You haven't yet been told. And so I'll even go a little more basic than, than just telling you what I told you and say that many Christians consider him to be the most faithful Christian who ever lived. Now, the reason is not because there was something super special about him. The reason is not because... God had gifted him in some way and given him something that he just doesn't give other people. The reason that the apostle Paul is considered by many of us Christians to be one of the best role models of Christianity that we've ever had is because his faith was tested through trials of life. And the more his faith was tested, the more his faith grew. And even though he was human, just like you and I, he was faithful and his faithfulness over time brought God's blessing. But God's blessing didn't always look like the kind of blessing that you and I think we deserve. The apostle Paul didn't get rich. He didn't really get very popular until after he died. He'd been through things in life that we wouldn't wish on our worst enemy. He'd been imprisoned, he'd been shipwrecked, he'd been snake bit, he'd been lied about, he'd been chased out of town, he'd been beaten, he'd been locked in jail. And he did it not because he was a bad person, because he was doing the right thing. This was a guy when he wrote, was writing as a person who's experienced the kinds of things that you and I are experiencing in life to a certain extent and giving us an example of what happens if we just keep going. He says, you can be truly happy. So what do you know about happiness? And he wrote a lot about it. But today we're gonna to be talking about happiness and we're gonna be talking about the foundation of happiness. I'm gonna to talk to you about where it all begins. 
And so we see him writing, the Apostle Paul, in the book of Philippians, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more. Now remember that, that was week number one, two weeks ago. We talked about love, we talked about how that we are supposed to love God and love others, and that's a supernatural kind of love that our love may abound more and more in knowledge. Last week, we talked about knowledge, the things we're supposed to know to be truly happy. And that was the Beatitudes coming from Matthew chapter five. Remember that trigger in your minds there because we've all slept since last week and it's hard to remember even things from yesterday. And then we see as he goes on and on that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what's best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now, I'm guessing that by me reading this to you that your reaction would be similar to mine and you would just, um, you know, would just kind of gloss, uh, maybe a 36,000 foot flyover and you're like, oh, okay, those are some good words that sound wise and I, I, I'm kind of with you, they, they're true and yeah, we should probably know them. I just don't want to leave it at that. What I like to do is to peel back the layers, to dig deep, to look behind the scenes, to try to unlock or open up the meaning in scripture to where it comes to life. And that by the end of the eight weeks together, you'll look at this passage and you'll know it. You will have experienced it and it'll never leave you. And today I'm going to be talking about this concept that's part of a compound concept, part of it last week, part of it this week. Knowledge, experience. Knowledge, applied experience. Knowledge, applied knowledge. We're going to be talking about a compound concept, but it's something that's so simple, that's so easy to miss, so foundational, that I think we need to spend the entire time this morning discussing it. So let's look at this together and let's talk about this idea of happiness. Now, happy people are insightful people. The first week we talked about happiness, happy people are loving people. The second week we talked about happy people are knowing people. This week we're talking about the fact that happy people are insightful people, but I have to explain this concept of insight. We're gonna talk about it for just a minute and then really allow it to settle in our spirits because it's much, much deeper and more complex than it sounds on the surface. Happy people experience or know that happiness is peace with God. Happy people are at peace with God, first of all, then at peace within themselves and at peace with others. The three are connected and they begin with God. Peace with God paves the way for this relationship or state of being, but how do we find this peace? Boy, is that an important question? I have, and if you see it in your notes, you'll see that there are a lot more notes in your app or on your PDF that you downloaded that I'm gonna talk about today. Because this question, how do I find peace with God, is the beginning of true happiness. It is the irreducible minimum and the most important decision or proposition that anyone can ever make. But it's one that's assumed or misunderstood so often in our world, in our conversations, and sometimes perhaps even in our churches, that I feel that we can't move on without really drilling down to the basics and discussing this. So let's look together at happiness and insight. 
The Apostle Paul says in Philippians 1, verse 9, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. Now you say, so what? Depth of insight, I get it. We want to be insightful people. Everyone wants to be around a person with insight, yeah? That's bigger than that. It's more than that. As a matter of fact, this is the only time in the New Testament that this little phrase, that this compound word here, depth of insight, is used. And when something's used only one time, it's a, a trigger for those of us who like to study the Bible to, to really pay attention. And the reason is because the concept was so important and it was so powerful and meaningful that I believe the Apostle Paul, as he's writing, kind of got stumped for a second. You ever get stumped as you're trying to, to come up with a word and you know what you mean, but you just can't think of the word? The older I get, the more that happens to me. And sometimes it even happens when I'm up here and then you have this panicky feeling. It's like the word, it was there, it escapes me. And then sometimes you sort of freak out a little bit and then you look and people try to help you out with words, you know, and they're not always the word, but eventually you just grab it and go, sure, that works. It's probably better than the word that I said. Well, that's kind of the situation here. The apostle Paul's like, man, how can I get this right? How can I really drill this home? How can I help people understand? And he uses this word that's only used here. Now in Hebrews 5, there's a, a similar reference or use, but not the same. And it's, it's so important to understand that the way that we are going to explain it is moral judgment or determining rightness and wrongness and then acting on it. I think that's super important. How do you decide what's right and wrong? How do you decide what's true and false? How do you make decisions in your life? Where does your sense of morality come from? That's what I want to talk about today. Now, I've had many different voices in my life, many good voices in my life. My grandmother, my dad's mom, always knew what was right. My grandma, I mean, she walked with God. And if she didn't know, she never let us know she didn't know what the right thing to do was when the rubber hit the road. Now you ask a Christian, well, how do you know what's right and wrong? Well, I pray about it and read the Bible because that's the churchy answer. And that's a really good answer, but oftentimes it's not true. Sometimes the way we define right and wrong is based on how we were brought up. I was raised in a home where this was right and this was wrong. My parents voted this way, taught me to vote this way. My mom was a saver, I'm a saver. I mean, the moral judgments that we make were sort of handed to us from one generation to the next. In some cases, it's because we were born, you know, into a, a city or a location or a situation or had friends growing up. I mean, whatever it was, I went to school here and got this degree and... There are even classes that I took in college on ethics where they would teach you how to make decisions and what's right and what's wrong. But the problem is that many of us assume that we can live with the depth of insight, making correct moral decisions without ever really getting to the place where we have to, to start it all off, which is coming to a point of peace with God. And so with all of the different ways we could talk about this as a church family, 
I want to talk about this in the most basic and fundamental way. I want to talk about this depth of insight and this moral judgment in a way that I know for some of you is simple, but I also know that for many of us, we skip it and move on to the to-do lists and the more complex. There was a school of thought back in the day that Aristotle got famous for. It was called Aristotelian virtue theory. And basically what that meant was when somebody would ask this teacher, how do you know the difference between right and wrong? He would say, a virtuous person just simply does what a virtuous person wants to do. And by very definition, it's virtuous or right. If a person's not right and they're a vicious person, then they just simply do what they want to do. And then by very definition or default, it's wrong. Which brings all sorts of questions but even a working theory that we carry into today and one that I wanna discuss right now by suggesting to you that each of us were born into a reality, an inability to make any decisions that count except the wrong ones. So let's look together. The foundation for moral judgment and happiness and let's look together at the book of Romans, which is another book that was written by the Apostle Paul, this time to a group of people who he didn't know quite as well, but he knew the truth about them because all of us are encompassed or included in the same moral condition. There are things in life that are true, but not fair. Agree or disagree? I think all of us would agree. True, but not fair. I've mentioned the home you were born into, you were born into a home with parents, maybe siblings, maybe, uh, of course, in a certain city, a certain town, a certain state. And it's absolutely true, even though it may not have been fair. For some of you, you may have had a leg up from the moment you were born. You may have had all the money you needed, parents who encouraged you, opportunities, everything you wanted. And for some of you, you may have had a terrible situation you were born into where you had disadvantages and challenges. And, and both of those things are true, even if they're not fair. You and I were born into a nation, most of us, America. Now, if you're not an American, bear with me because most of us in here were born in America and it's true, but it's not fair. And you say, oh, don't say it's not fair. You, don't you love your country? And I'll just tell you this. I was trying to calculate the number of countries I've been to in my life. I'm probably 18 different countries. This is my favorite one. Of all the places that I've been, there are places that I could end up that I'd be happy in, but none that I would rather live in than our, than our country. I appreciate and love the freedoms we have. I love the ability to be right here with you and say Jesus and open the Bible and not have to worry about anything. I love living here. But, and all of us were born, or those of us who were born in America, it's true, but it's not fair. And that also brings with it some disadvantages. For an advantage, and I consider this an advantage, uh, most of us, if we were born in America, we claim country music because other countries, they don't have country music, right? But if you're American, you just kind of have to like it. Now, if you don't like country music in here, I'm not challenging your patriotism or your citizenship. I'm generalizing. Everybody kind of likes the country music. Now, I prefer classic rock. I prefer classic rock to country, but I still like country. They start playing country music. My foot starts tapping. It's like, I'm an American. There's just something in it that just, when I eat French fries, I don't put mustard on my French fries. I'm an American. 
I put ketchup on my French fries. I don't put mayonnaise on my French fries. I put ketchup because I'm American. There's some disadvantages about being American. You say, well, what in the world could that be? Well, we only speak one language, most of us, right? We're Americans. You ever met anybody from Europe? I planted a church in an area where most people were European. And almost everyone you meet from somewhere interesting like Austria or Italy, you say, how many languages do you speak? Well, I speak five. How many do you speak? I speak one. I'm American. I was born in Texas. I'm lucky I speak English correctly, right? (laughs) So there's some disadvantages to being born in America. Now, being born here gives us the opportunity to have one of these. See one of these, this is a passport. Most of you guys, many of you have passports. I couldn't find my passport because I can't always find things. And you know who knew exactly where it was? Princess List over here. She knew exactly where the passport was. I have my picture in the passport, which guarantees my citizenship. It says, Rick is a citizen of the United States with all the perks and benefits. Now, I've traveled different places. One time I went to Haiti. In Haiti, it wasn't very impressive, but they had a naturalization department. And in this or at this naturalization department in Haiti, when you went through the metal detector, which was really just an angry looking person who sort of looked you up and down and decided whether you got something or not, it was a guy on a folding table with a stamp and he stamped your passport. And it was the most important job of anybody in the whole naturalization department. And when he stamped my passport, he stamped my passport like six times. Bam, 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 bam. And then one time on another page, flipped it up, bam, stamped it again, and then stamped my hand because he wanted me to know for sure that I'd been in Haiti. So some of us, we travel all across the world. Some of us don't travel. We just travel in Iowa, but we're free to travel with all the perks and benefits of being an American. It's true, even if it's not fair. Now, all of us were born into the nation of sin. Every single person and issued a passport at birth. And it's true, but it's not fair. And the Apostle Paul speaks to this in Romans. And as he tells us, all of us were born having been issued the passport of the kingdom of sin knowing that it's true, even though it's not fair. He talks about how we can have true happiness. This moral compass installed in us and how we can be at peace with God. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through this sin, in this way, death came to all people because all people sinned. It's bleak. And sometimes we question God and we say, well, that doesn't sound very fair, God. All of us have sinned. In the Bible, we read all have sinned and fallen short of God's standard. And that the, the wages or the payment for the condition we're born into is death and separation. But the free gift of God comes through Christ Jesus, our Lord. And some spend a lifetime arguing with God about how unfair it is. Well, I'm a good person. The Bible says there's not one good person. 
They're just some who may live lives that look better than others. Every person born with a passport marking their citizenship into the nation of sin. Many of you, again, if you've grown up in church, you've seen tracks. I think the first one I ever saw was the four spiritual laws. For those who haven't grown up in church, they're little booklets that we used to give out that would give you Bible verses and tell you how to have peace with God. The worst track I ever saw was the one, some of you are going to remember this, the one that had like a thousand dollar bill on the outside of it. And it was all folded up and people would walk through the mall and they would drop it real slick like, you know, and you'd run over and go, oh, look, a thousand bucks. And you'd pick it up and go, oh, Jesus. You know, you'd look at it and then you'd, you know, as a Christian, you're like, man, I can't believe they tricked me into this, right? And the guy who dropped it's like, I tricked you into reading about Jesus. And it's all messed up in that way. You try to throw it away, but then you knew you couldn't throw away the track because it has Bible verses, so you put it in a drawer somewhere and it's probably still there today. Is that just me? All of a sudden I got a really awkward feeling and thought maybe I was the only one who'd had that experience. Um, I'm the only sucker that tried to pick up a thousand dollars in the mall. Oftentimes they have this little graphic in them. The graphic resonates with me. We have people, all of us, together, true, not fair. Who started it? Whose fault is it? Well, the apostle Paul says, sin came into the world through one man. Now, it's kind of cool that it actually came first to a woman and Paul's blaming it on the guy because we men take responsibility for our actions, don't we? He came in, it came in through one person. Now, Paul's contrasting two men. Jesus, the God-man, right? Jesus, God, and Adam. Now, Adam didn't invent sin, but he introduced sin into the world. And the Bible tells us that when Adam and Eve in the garden chose sin, that God was a couple of things. One, heartbroken, because he didn't create Adam and Eve to live in sin. They were created with a moral compass, full of virtue, where the decisions that they would have made would have been automatically decisions of worship. Decisions pointing them toward Christ, making them the person who the Lord wanted them to be. But they chose sin. And the Bible says that God was also just and he was also holy, so he had to punish sin. And there was a curse pronounced, not just on Adam and Eve, but on every human being born since that time, where when every baby's born, they're handed their passport. Now we argue with God, we want explanations. How can this be true? It's not fair. And some people spend their whole life arguing with God. And I think you may agree with me that God operates on a higher plane than we do. And he answers our questions in the best way, well, the way we can understand. You have children, many of you. 
Maybe you had kids that lived at home. Maybe they asked this question, where do babies come from? Now, you would answer this question differently based on how old your kid is, right? Because there are appropriate ways to answer this question when your child's a toddler, and then more important ways to answer this question when they hit their teenage years. God answers the questions that we're asking in the way that you and I can truly understand because there are just some things that we're not intended to be able to wrap our minds around because we're just human, bookended by life with a beginning and an end, and born into the nation of sin. But Jesus Christ bridges this gap, and Christ alone. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we can have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Peace begins with faith in Christ. Faith in Christ changes our citizenship. We turn over our passport of sin handing it to the Lord, having been free to move about and get our passport stamped, filling us with mistake and regret and guilt. And we hand it to God because of Jesus. And he hands us a brand new passport and a brand new life. And says, instead of being a searcher, you are now a follower. No more outside in. Now, God comes to live on the inside and begins to teach us truth as we live it from the inside out. The moral compass is installed and we can begin to live a life we've never dreamed possible because we're living as a citizen of a new kingdom because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and because we've put our faith and trust in him and said, I want to live for you and live a different way. When the apostle Paul says to us, I pray that your love will abound more and more. This supernatural love, the ability to love like Jesus love doesn't come from the natural person. It's supernatural. And it assumes this relationship with Jesus. To see the truth in scripture and to embrace it and to begin to live it, it's supernatural. The natural person can't do it. It begins with Jesus. So the invitation to true happiness begins with the invitation to follow Jesus. And that's the simple invitation that I wanna to make today. Because I think oftentimes we skip it. We assume that we're born into a different kingdom under a different set of rules. And we skip the simple things and move on to the to-do lists and the complexities of life never having actually found our phone.
So I've, I'm going to ask you to do a couple things. I want to invite you to do a couple things. The first thing is, if you haven't made a decision to become a follower of Jesus, I want to invite you to do that this morning. And it's a very, very simple thing to do, although very important, and really just involves three things. The first thing is an acknowledgement and a, and a confession, and that is, you know, I get it. I'm sinful. I have sinned. I was born into the nation of sin, and I confess, I don't want to live like this anymore. Now, you don't make it weird in your head. Talking to God, I can't talk to God. Yeah, you can, because God created you, and he created in you a communication pipeline Whereas you think thoughts God can hear and communicate back with you in just the same way. And you say to him, I, I, I wish I hadn't, I did, I confess, I'm sorry, I don't want to live that way. Now the second thing is we have to embrace this Jesus that we've been talking about, you and I, for the last, well, five years together. And not the angry kind of God that you may have grown up believing in or the Jesus who's distant that seems like he's unapproachable. But he's the Jesus you and I have studied straight from the words of scripture, the Jesus who has come to life and loved and lived and served and proven himself to us. I believe who he is. I believe he came. I believe he lived a perfect life. I believe he died a death he didn't deserve. I believe he died for me. And I believe he rose again. And that third thing is, I want to turn my passport in and I want to live a different way. A member of a different kingdom under new management. I want my life to make a difference. And friends, that's the beginning of everything that's important. That's the irreducible minimum. That's the secret. And it's the only way to truly be happy. Now, if you make this decision today, I want to give you a chance to communicate that to our pastoral staff, which is why I've asked you to download the app. On the app, there's a link at the very top of your app that says spiritual decision. Super simple. I like to keep it simple. And when you click that button, it's going to go to a link that's only seen by our pastors. That's it. Jared, Brandon, Dan, and myself. And it just basically says, what's on your mind? What's on your heart? Can we talk to you about it? Can we encourage you in it? Or can we pray for you as you go through it? You don't have to tell us to make this decision but sometimes for me, it helps to tell somebody when I'm making a decision, especially people who I trust and people who I love, because not only is there accountability there, but it just kind of helps me get started into a new way of living or a new life. And so we would love to be able to come alongside and to be able to nudge and encourage as you start this new chapter. But I want to leave you with the invitation and with this challenge that you can become a new person with citizenship in a new country. And after this life is over, you're guaranteed an eternity in heaven where you'll spend it with Jesus and all those who've died as citizens of the kingdom as well. 
Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for my friends.